This is a day of celebration, even with glowing puppets. It's great to have the kids in the service this morning and to see uh, all of you here today as we celebrate the risen Savior. Resurrection, the resurrection story is a story that is full of discovery, surprise, wonder. It's a story, I think, that continues to catch people off guard in all kinds of ways, just like it did on that very first Easter Resurrection Sunday. The people who went to the tomb, that it caught them off guard as well. But the cross of Friday is anything but the end of the story. Because Sunday was coming. A day that changed everything. And so we celebrate not just an empty cross, but we celebrate an empty tomb And this is the hinge point of the entire Christian faith. I want to read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, and I encourage you to turn there, just the first 12 verses that that tell of this account. And so Luke, he records what happened on that Easter Sunday. And he explains it this way. He says, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And so they went in that they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. It says the women were terrified, and they bowed with their faces to the ground, and then the men asked them, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. And then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. And stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. And then he went home again, wondering what had happened. I think it's hard to imagine the impact that this account would have had on these early disciples as the truth and the reality started to settle in about what was actually happening, happening, starting with the empty tomb that they saw, and then eventually as the story unfolds in the hours and the days that follow, they eventually see the encounters with Jesus himself in the flesh, the reality of the resurrection life, their day's disbelief, shock. Fear, anxiety, gradually transform into amazement, hope, and joy. They realize that they have just witnessed the most momentous historical event that the world has ever seen. Probably the very first event that you could truly call epic or unbelievable. And you know, you may be someone here today who has very similar feelings and very similar kind of response to this story, or you may be somebody here today who understands the story, knows the story, but you kind of approach it with indifference. Maybe it hasn't mattered a whole lot in your life. Or maybe you're somebody who is here today more as a skeptic, and you are maybe familiar with the story, but you actually don't really believe the story. It just seems really too unbelievable in many ways. If that's true, if you're here as a skeptic today with those kinds of doubts, you're actually in good company. Because the first disciples, they thought some similar things. It says, right in verse 11, it says that the story sounded like nonsense to them. 
when this group of women came and reported back what they saw. So how could we trust these accounts of what happened? Some of you may remember pastor and author by the name of Lee Strobel. And quite a number of years ago, he wrote a book called The Case for Christ. And more recently, it's become a movie, and it's the story of an investigative reporter of the Chicago Tribune, uh, this atheist, this skeptic, this person who did not believe in the Christian story at all, and he was really frustrated and even angry because his wife became a Christian. She became a follower of Christ. So he was determined to disprove the Christian faith, to disprove what his wife had chose to believe and show that it was nothing but a lie. And what he did was he focused on the resurrection because he realized that if he could disprove the resurrection, then everything else about the Christian faith just falls in like a house of cards. So he took all of his skills, all of his years of experience, and he researched the most qualified experts with intense scrutiny. And as he took the investigative skills that he had to this story and to try to disprove this story, he eventually found that he was overwhelmed with the evidence. That the evidence pointed to something that was real and something that he could not deny. And he gave his life to Jesus and he wrote a book about it called The Case for Christ. I want to read just a summary of uh, his story from a small book that he wrote and it just captures a few of the concluding things about his investigation. So Strobel says this, I started my original investigation as a spiritual skeptic. But after having thoroughly investigated the evidence for the resurrection, I was coming to a startling, unexpected verdict. One final fact, described by a respected philosopher named J.P. Moreland, clinched the case for me. When Jesus was crucified, Moreland told me, his followers were discouraged and depressed. So they dispersed. The Jesus movement was all but stopped in its tracks. Then after a short period of time, we see them abandoning their occupations, regathering, and committing themselves to spreading a very specific message that Jesus Christ was the Messiah of God who died on a cross, returned to life, and was seen alive by them. And they were willing to spend the rest of their lives proclaiming this. Without any payoff from a human point of view, they faced a life of hardship. They often went without food, slept exposed to the elements, were ridiculed, beaten, and imprisoned. And finally, most of them were executed in torturous ways. For what? For good intentions? No, because they were convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, that they had seen Jesus Christ alive from the dead. Yes, people will die for their religious convictions if they sincerely believe they are true. Religious fanatics have done that throughout history. While they may strongly believe in the tenets of their religion, however, they don't know for a fact whether their faith is based on the truth. They simply cannot know for sure. They can only believe. In stark contrast, the disciples were in a unique position to know for a fact whether Jesus had returned from the dead. Because they saw him, they touched him, they ate with him, they knew he wasn't a hallucination or a legend, and knowing the truth, they were willing to die for him. Strobel says, that insight stunned me. The disciples didn't merely believe in the resurrection, they knew whether it was fact or fiction. Had they known it was a lie, they'd never been willing to sacrifice their lives for it. Nobody willingly dies for something that they know is false. They proclaimed the resurrection to their deaths for one reason alone, They knew that it was true. And based on the historical data I had examined, I became convinced that they were right. Combined with the other evidence for Jesus that I described in my book, The Case for Christ, I concluded that he is really the one and only Son of God who proved it it by rising from the dead. You know, one of the other evidences 
that is there within the Scripture text of the truth of this story was even the fact that the first witnesses were women. It's another one of the, the many proofs of the resurrection story because if, if not, if the early disciples were just trying to fabricate a believable story to prop up their faith, they would have never created a story where women were the first witnesses. Because you see, at that time, women were not even allowed to testify in a Jewish court of law. Even if there were multiple female witnesses, they were not allowed to testify. Their, their witness was not deemed credible in any way. And so not only is this a reminder of the kingdom of God and how it turns the system of the world on its head, because this as well so radically affirms the dignity and value of women, but also if these were just cleverly devised myths, then women would have never been presented as the first eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus. You know, as you read the gospel stories, as you read the accounts in the book of Acts, as you read Paul's letters to the churches, like in 1 Corinthians 15, where he reminds and articulates again what happened after that resurrection weekend. Paul says how 500 people, over 500 people, witnessed the risen Jesus. And then he says, and even I, even I got to see him. I got to meet him as well, Paul says. Even Jesus' brother James gives testimony to this. If you look in John's Gospel in chapter 7, verse 5, it says how Jesus' brothers, his earthly brothers, they didn't believe him either. They didn't believe who Jesus was, but eventually even his brother James did believe him and became a leader in the early church. Eventually penning one of the great texts that is part of our New Testament. And he starts out by saying in James chapter 1, verse 1, he says, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for any of you who have brothers, I know and you know that you would never say that of an earthly brother unless you are absolutely convinced that Jesus, says who, that Jesus is who he said he was. So witness after witness, detail after detail, there is corroboration on top of corroboration. One of the most Thoroughly attested events in ancient history is the resurrection. So we've talked about the what of what happened that weekend so many thousands years ago. But what about the so what? If it's true, so what? Why does it matter? Jesus said that he came that we might have life, true life, new life, life to the full. And nothing makes that more possible than the reality of the resurrection. So what does new life look like? And I have, a, I have a plant in my office, actually, that gives me a picture of that. It's a pretty pathetic-looking plant. So I took a couple of angles of it so that you could see that. Apparently, I've underwatered it for a while. But that one really tall stalk was the healthy plant quite a while ago, and it had all kinds of leaves, and eventually it started to die. And I was about to rip it out and throw it out of my office. And then all of a sudden I saw this new little sprout kind of come up out of the soil, and I thought, I'll leave it and see what happens. And then this other piece starts to grow, and so it's probably the ugliest plant ever. But it reminds me of new life, a picture of what can possibly happen when something that seemingly is dead comes to life. So new life in Christ transforms death to life, first of all. The reality of Life is that one day we all die. We know that. But the resurrection says that there is life beyond the grave. Jesus went first and now he invites his followers. We're created as eternal souls made in the image of God as he is an eternal God. 
And the reality is, is that there is an eternal future beyond the grave for each one of us. Something that I confess is difficult to understand in our finite minds, in our human limitations. This idea of eternity. And Scripture reveals that this future is either a place in existence called hell that is without the presence of God as we reject Him, or it's a place called heaven, a place filled with light, hope, and love in the presence of the living Jesus if we put our trust in Him. And so the resurrection gives us hope beyond the grave for ourselves and those that we love who have died. So death is not final. Death loses its sting. Death is a transition point. The second thing that new life in Christ does is it transforms evil things into godly things. We experience and witness things in life quite often, unfortunately, that just kind of appear pure evil. We see evil in the world around us. We see evil far off in distant places. We see evil happening right close to home. For some of us, we've experienced it in our own homes. We've experienced it more closely than we would like to admit. And if we're honest, we can see it even creeping into our own hearts. The resurrection life is is this truth that new life can take something that is evil and make it into the image of God and transform it. Last week, we went to a a movie that was called I Can Only Imagine. And some of you maybe have seen it, and it's a, it's a real-life story about the song that was written by Bart Millard of Mercy Me, of the same name. A song that has gone on to become the most popular uh, and most played contemporary Christian song in the recent era. And it was a song that was written about his dad. And it was written about his dad and what would happen when his dad entered into heaven because his dad died of pancreatic cancer. So he wrote this song about, I can only imagine, of picturing his father meeting Jesus for the first time because his father became a believer later in life. But prior to that, he described his dad as a monster. He said his dad was such an evil person who beat his mom and beat him and made life so miserable for their entire family. But then the gospel changed him. The gospel transformed his father in a way that he became He went from being a monster to being a man whose life he wanted to actually emulate. And he says, if the gospel is that real, if the gospel is that powerful, that it can transform the evil in my father and make him that kind of a godly man, it has to be true. And he witnessed it himself. He saw the power of the gospel and the resurrection and new life. You see, the resurrected Jesus transforms evil things into beautiful things. In Romans Chapter 6, verse 4, it says, And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Thirdly, new life in Christ transforms spiritually dead things into fully alive things. God helped the prophet Ezekiel see the reality of spiritual deadness. In Ezekiel chapter 37, it's this picture of the valley of dry bones, and many of you know that story where God shows this reality of spiritual deadness to Ezekiel. And God asks the question, can these bones come to life again? And he says and he declares, yes, they can. I will put breath into you. I will make you live again. You will come to life and you will know that I am the Lord. And it's this picture of the people of Israel and the spiritual deadness that is there that God wanted to awaken Ezekiel to see. It can also be a picture of the church. 
can also be a picture sometimes of our lives or those that are around us, wherever there is spiritual deadness. And we wonder, can this spiritual deadness actually come to life again? Maybe even for you today, you're feeling spiritually dead. The resurrection means that new life is possible. That spiritual deadness can come alive. And fourthly and finally, new life in Christ transforms fearful living into faith-filled living. New life in Christ means that we can live in a different way. It means that we can live a life of faith-filled obedience instead of timid, fearful existence. I love how the writer of Hebrews puts it in chapter 2, and he says it this way, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood, speaking of Jesus. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all who had lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. You see, it's only once we lose our fear of death that we can truly live. And the resurrection gives us new life and this promise that helps us to live a faith-filled life. The resurrection is what anchors our faith. The resurrection is what launched the church. One commentator, Daryl Bach, said it this way, the resurrection was not created by the church, but rather the church was created by the resurrection. The very truth and reality of the resurrection is what set the church in motion. The resurrection is what gives us new life in all of its forms. So the empty tomb brought all kinds of responses that we see in this account, that we read in Luke's Gospel. Puzzlement and wonder, terror and fear, skepticism and disbelief, and even the beginnings of hope, and then joy, and then this lifelong conviction of living a life of faith. People have responded to the story of the empty tomb in all kinds of ways over the centuries. And the question for each one of us today, for each one of you, is how will you respond today? How do you respond to this story? In John chapter 1, John begins his gospel by teaching about who this Jesus was. And he says, So the Word became human and made His home among us, and He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. But the sad irony was is that he came into the very world that he created, but the world actually didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But then he said this, but to all who believe and to all who receive, they will become children of God. And it's that response that God invites us into this story, that we not only believe mentally with our mental ascent, but that we would receive into our hearts and into our lives this truth of the resurrection story of who Jesus is. And as we do that, He promises that we become a child of God, a child of the King. Would you pray with me? So Heavenly Father, we thank You for the truth and the power and the reality of this story. And Lord, I pray for each one here today that as we come here today, that every one of us would respond to this story today in a new way. That you would show by your Holy Spirit how you are inviting us to respond. God, we thank you and we praise you that you bring dead things to life. And that there is a future and a promise beyond the grave. That death is not the final story. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you overwhelmed the grave and that you showed the way. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that by the power of your resurrection and new life, that evil things can become godly things. 
And Lord, where there is evil in our lives and we see it in our experience, God, would you transform and change these circumstances by the power of the resurrection? And Lord, we just confess and we admit that oftentimes there's spiritual deadness in our lives. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come into our lives in a new way and make us alive again. Would you stir us, Lord Jesus? Would you awaken us to the power and the reality of your resurrection? That that same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in us as we give our lives to you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to move from fearful living to faith-filled living. And so God, we pray that you would help us to respond. Help us to walk in the truth and the reality and the power of this new life in Christ that is found in the resurrected Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.